0: We are continuing today in our new sermon series focused upon the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer, which was Jesus' response to his disciples coming to him and asking him, Jesus, teach us to pray. And the response to that question was the famous words that we know from the Lord's Prayer Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven, and, and so on. But Jesus wasn't just teaching them words. You see, we memorize these words and we recite them. There's not a thing wrong with that. But, but he was teaching more than just words to be recited as a prayer. And you see, there's this deeper meaning. There's this model that he was actually presenting to his followers from then. And right up to us today, people who are followers of Christ today, there's this model of prayer he wanted us to be aware of. And so throughout the weeks of this series, we're kind of pulling back the curtain. We're, we're looking a little bit deeper into the meaning that is behind that model that we can follow uh, in our own prayer lives. Last week we started with the opening line, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And they gave you a challenge. And I hope many of you have accepted that challenge. If you didn't, good news, it's not too late. You can pick up the challenge this week and continue it from this point forward. And the challenge is this, it starts off very simply. If you're not already involved in some form of prayer in your daily life, that's a good place to start. We're talking about prayer. The challenge relates to prayer. So we need to have some form of prayer taking place in our life. But, but here's where the challenge begins in addition to that is to begin our prayer by remembering the awesomeness of God to whom we're speaking. That when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, we are praying to the to this incredibly awesome, incomprehensible, majestic, righteous, all-powerful creator of heaven and earth. That is who we are speaking to. And to start our prayer by remembering that is, is critical. But also to remember the work of Jesus Christ... That makes it possible for us all to have the reality of being adopted sons and daughters into God's family. And so that we are welcomed into his presence. We can approach him with confidence. So that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter the situation, no matter the time of day or the time of night, if we have easy words to share with him, if we have hard words and feelings that are even a little ugly, we can share those with him too. And he receives them with love. He receives Receives them with delight. And that's who we're approaching. One who is wiser than any sage. One who is bigger than any problem we find ourselves in the midst of. And one who is worthy to receive our praises as we start praying. So that was the first challenge, to begin praying and to begin our prayers by remembering the awesomeness of whom we speak. And today we're going to add to that another petition. The second petition in the prayer, which is, may your kingdom come. The point of which is, is we're going to see today, is to focus our hearts and our minds upon the authority, the mission, and the presence of God in our lives and in the world around us. Now, last week, you'll also perhaps recall that I mentioned there was some research done into prayer habits of Canadians, and, and that... Research has found that uh, amongst the religious and the irreligious, it's actually at 74% of Canadians said they have some form of private prayer life. That doesn't mean daily. It doesn't mean frequent. It doesn't mean they're actually genuinely seeking God. It means they understand that these moments where they turn to these conversations that they associate with the idea of prayer. 74%. Now, I'm going to assume that since we're in a church service on Sunday morning, that our percentage in this room is at least as high as 74%. Hopefully even higher than that. But I think it's a safe assumption that we have at least that level of commitment to prayer in the room. So I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Think of the last prayer you prayed. I'll give you a second. Just think, what was the last thing that you prayed for? And as you think about that, what what was the topic, the subject matter? what, What was it that you were praying for? You got it? Even if you don't, just smile. I won't know any different. Just just smile as though you do. <laughs> okay. And then I want you to ask yourself, how does it compare to this chart? So here are some results further from that study about, about things that people typically pray for. Now you notice that the top three there, the top one, we're not surprised by probably any of these. The number one, friends and family. 82% of the time, friends and family are part of our prayer life. Secondly, personal problems, challenges that a person has in their life, 74%. And then the third one are, are the good things that are happening to us or, or events that take place in our lives. Now, as you look at the top three, do you see any common factors, any, any connections between those top three things? The one that stands out for me is that all three of them have to do with focusing upon the self. I'm praying about my friends and my family. I'm praying about my issues, about all the events in my life. Now, now, in fairness, we don't know what people prayed for. We don't know what their prayers consisted of. But there is kind of a commonality there. But it is possible that these weren't selfishly motivated prayers, that, that they're prayers perhaps that were very noble and genuine and very purposeful in a person's life. Or perhaps even, even a prayer like this. Like, like, Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't lost my temper, haven't gossiped, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or indulgent. But in a few moments I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help for the rest of the day. I want to mention it's also not inappropriate for us to pray for ourselves. That's that's not what I'm suggesting here. You see, there are people in our lives that we care about, and we should pray for those things. Life is hard for us and for those people we care about, and we should pray for those things. And you notice the third one actually leaves room for people to give thanks in their lives, which is appropriate too. You know, in fact, Paul tells us, That prayers like this are the great defeater of anxiety. He says in Philippians 4, 6, that do not be anxious about anything, but but instead of the anxiety, in every situation, focus your energy. Focus your mindset towards prayer and towards petition. And with thanksgiving, present those things towards God. Philippians 4, 6. It says instead of anxiety, move those things towards prayer, he encourages us. And actually, as we progress through this series in the coming weeks, we're going to see that Jesus himself encourages us to pray for our needs. For the things that we need, for our relationships, for our fears. So it's not that these things are wrong. You see, what's happening here? In these opening three petitions of the Lord's prayers, we're starting to see is that Jesus is first calling us to have our hearts and our minds focused. To have them focused upon our Heavenly Father. That that is the starting point of entering into prayer. And it's an important challenge. Because if you're anything like me, the minute I start praying, I, I just so quickly jump into, into my wants. Into my needs. And, into my feelings. Oh, Lord. I got to get out of bed today. I don't feel like getting out of bed. Oh, Lord, you know, I, I'm not feeling that good. My back kind of hurts. I got a big to-do list today. Finances. Oh, Lord, help the finances. i got tension with this person in my life. So these are the types of things that we, we commonly jump to. Another way to put it is, is quite often we're so quick to pray about our kingdoms. About the things that happen in our spheres and our kingdoms. But what Jesus is doing here in the opening of this prayer, he's saying, he's saying guys, before you get to your stuff, I mean, before you get on to your stuff, set your heart and your mind upon God's stuff. Start there. And then just see, if you set your heart and mind upon his stuff, just see how that informs what you pray for. See how that informs how you pray. See how that informs why you're even praying in the first place. And and perhaps even most importantly, see how that informs how you understand and interpret God's responses to your prayer. Start with his stuff before we move to our stuff. Therefore... We begin by reflecting upon the greatness of God. But then we add to that today the phrase, may your kingdom come. So what is God's kingdom? Well, we started the year with a series that focused upon the kingdom of God. So we're just going to give you a brief refresher on that. That word kingdom comes from the Greek word basilia, which doesn't actually refer to like this physical kingdom of like like a, maybe have your mind like say like a castle and walls and a moat and a drawbridge and alligators. That's not the kingdom we're talking about here. It's not a physical kingdom we're referring to. Rather, what we're referring to here is one's right, one's authority to rule, to possess power, to possess dominion to rule. Another way that this is defined is referred to as the range of one's effective will. And we see this in the world around us. Uh, In in your uh, offices that you go to work at, there's a manager, a CEO, somebody who has an effective will over the office and the employees. We see this in uh, sports, on sports teams. If anyone watched the Raptors game last night after they won the Eastern Conference Championship, it was just awesome. They interviewed the GM and the team, and they asked him, how about these trades you made and these guys you drafted, and they they referred to all these past decisions that he had made. He had this range of effective will to build a team. Uh, If you go to schools, your principal has this effective will. Growing up in our homes, we had this. Where parents had authority over the home. There was the authority to assign roles that had to get done. It was assigned to chores. Who did what chores? Who slept in what room? What were the expectations of this household? If you wanted to go out, you had to ask approval. If you wanted to borrow the car, you needed approval. If you wanted a friend to come over, you had to ask first. And those weren't just mom's rules for dad. That extended to the kids as well. But when we apply this to God, he has this eternal sovereign dominion. this, This kingship over all of creation from the smallest atom to the greatest celestial body. From the weakest blade of grass to the most powerful creature in all of creation. From all that we know and see today to all that we have yet to discover and be amazed by. He has sovereignty over. The author of Psalms 103 captured this when he says, He says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Yet there's a problem here. You see, when we look at the world around us, It's not hard to find examples of things that don't seem to quite match this scenario. He's he's got authority and power. He rules over all. And yet I look at the world and I watch the news and there are things that are contrary to that statement. And it's true. Not everything is according to God's perfect plan. And it's been that way ever since sin entered into the world. But that doesn't mean that things are going beyond God's effective will. It means that there's this reality of his permitted will, where he has permitted other kingdoms to remain for now. And we'll get there before we're done today. But when we live according to these other kingdoms, when we live according to these other wills, we know we experience other outcomes. We experience negative outcomes at times. Just as in our homes, when we are raising our children, they reach an age where we permit them to make choices. We permit them to make some mistakes. I experienced that uh, about a week, week and a half ago, where I decided it was time to clean my barbecue for the year. And so I grabbed some kitchen towels and apparently what turned out to be one of Nadine's special makeup face cloths, (laughs) proceeded to clean my, it worked great, it sparkles, it's beautiful and I proceeded to clean my barbecue with it. It was a wonderful time. She didn't know until I was finished, and I tried to show off my wonderful work to her. She noticed the claws before she noticed the barbecue. And there were consequences to that, right? When we make these negative decisions and choices and go according to our will and our plans, there are consequences to things that are contrary to the authority of the ruling powers in which we live. experience those. See, God wants to save us from those. He wants to keep us from having to endure these consequences that happen when we follow other kingdoms. And so as his kingdom came near and became available to us, a valid opportunity as did as well. You see, so much of Jesus' ministry was all about proclaiming and demonstrating the presence and the power of the kingdom of God. In fact, the central message of Jesus' teaching, and among the very first words he spoke as he entered into public ministry, were focused upon just that. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the very first words of Jesus that Mark records, Jesus says this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now the arrival of Jesus was this decisive time of action for God. Where Jesus, who is the king of the kingdom, was bringing the kingdom near to all people. And he calls upon them to make themselves subjects of that kingdom. Meaning to to come under his rule. To come under his reign and under his authority. But we could vividly see that his teachings and miracles revealed this. and, And something completely unprecedented was happening for the first time in human history. You see, there were other teachers, there were other rabbis that were going around, there, there were other miracle workers going around, but, but this was different. You see, when they would go do their stuff, they'd do something amazing, but then life just kind of went on as regular after the show was over. But something new was happening with Jesus. Because when Jesus came, his ministry was putting God's authority on display. And that authority, that kingdom was breaking into all other realms, We see this throughout the Gospels. From the time Jesus was 12, when he is in the temple and he starts reading and teaching, people are amazed. Right up through his earthly ministry, people are amazed because he didn't refer to other humans. He didn't have to refer to other people to justify and prove himself. He taught as one who had authority, Scripture tells us time and time again. We see that he had authority over the realm of nature. Jesus and disciples are crossing... The sea on a boat, he's sleeping, they're freaking out because the wind and the waves have come up. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. He stands up and he rebukes the wind. He rebukes the wave and it is calm. And they think to themselves, what is this power? What is this authority? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Yeah, that's the authority of the kingdom on display. The physical realm. Time and time again, he heals those who are lame, who are leprous, who are diseased, who have all sorts of ailments. Countless blind people receive sight. On one particular time when he is breaking into the realm of the physical, these men bring a, a paralyzed man before Jesus and he sees their faith and, and he looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Which, which was surprising to everybody there, but especially to the Pharisees. They were thinking, who is this man who can say he forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus looks at them and showing that he has authority not just over nature, not just over the physical, but he has authority over sin. And he says to them, I do this so you know that I have authority on earth to forgive sin. He has authority in the spiritual realm. When Jesus would heal those possessed by evil spirits, the Pharisees again would line up and they would question, by what power do you do this? By what authority do you drive out these demons? And Jesus responded to them, I drive them out so that you know that the kingdom of God has arrived. In Luke 11. He even had authority. The kingdom of God's power is even breaking into the realm of death. As Jesus raises the widow's son. He raises Jairus's daughter. He raises his friend Lazarus. You see, the authority of the kingdom of God is here now. It is breaking into these realms. Yes, there are other kingdoms that have been permitted to exist for a time, but they do not go untouched. They do not go unaffected by the presence and the reality of the kingdom of God that is here now in power and available to us. But as Christians, sometimes we fail to lay claim to this victory that is ours. Sometimes we, we look at the challenges of life and the influence of the world around us and the power of sin and the power of these evil forces that have been defeated by Jesus. But sometimes we allow them to come in and they make us feel like we are, we are poor persons who are hoarding a fortune under our mattress. And then we live like these attitudes of scarcity and want when the reality is abundance and blessing if we would just live it and claim it for ourselves. Yes, citizens of the kingdom of God, we have been given a great fortune. An incredible inheritance that is ours. Because we are adopted sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And yet the powers and the realms of sin, of the influences of the world, and of the enemy forces, these evil forces that rule against us, try to make us think we have no power. That these things that are available to us have no value. They attempt to distract us so that we will focus upon other things and and not realize our true identity. Or at times they cause us to hide, thinking, well, if somebody knew your association with Christ, they'd reject you. And so out of fear, we withdraw. But folks, we have every right and every power to claim the spoils of the victory that was made possible through Jesus Christ. To live in the power, to live in the presence, to live in the freedom of the kingdom of God that is here now. Because we have victory over sin. Romans 6 tells us that that sin has lost its power on us. That unless we choose to succumb to it, it has lost its power over us. It says this, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You cannot tempt a dead man. You walk up to a dead man and go, want some cake? Doesn't flinch. And buy a new car? Doesn't blink. You cannot tempt a dead man. That is the state that we are to be living in, where we are dead to sin. So when the enemy comes along and says, do you want some cake? We don't even flinch because we are dead to sin. Chocolate cake's not a sin. Influence upon the world around us is another area at times that we have had victory over. You see, there are pressures from the world all around us. Fr- from media, from, from professors in the university, and our high schools, to, to friends in the world who try to influence our view of things. That word view. Have you ever watched The View on weekday afternoon TV? I, I struggle with that show. I don't share the views of the people that are on that view quite often. But here's my point. I'm not going to critique the show. My my, my challenge is this. So many people watch it, and just because four celebrities sit around a table and share their opinions, that becomes the adopted view of a nation. Where's the authority behind the view? There's a difference between opinion and authority. Opinions are fine. Everyone has opinions. They're like belly buttons. But, But to have authority, the authority that people adopt, people, please, Before you hold true to something in your life, check out the authority behind it. Even when I stand up here and say something, if I quote scripture, look it up for yourself. Check it out. Make sure the authority behind everything from what I say to what you see on TV to what you see on on news media and these afternoon TV shows, check it out to know the authority behind it before you adopt it as your own view. Because Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You see, if we're going to be able to claim, believe, and live by the view, I want to challenge you to make sure it's God's view. To make sure that it is His view that is revealed to us in Scripture. And then we also have victory over the powers of evil. You see, in Jesus Christ, we have been claimed... We have been sealed. We have been destined and filled with the Holy Spirit. And John, uh, 4, 1 John 4, 4 tells us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means that we give the devil way too much credit. We give him way too much authority and power and presence in our lives at times. He is not one who exists with all power, with all authority, with all presence. He is a defeated foe. He has limited access and limited power. He only has what we allow him to have in our lives. We have victory over the forces of evil. Do not give them a foothold in our lives. And anything contrary to that is one of his lies. To say you can't overcome it. You won't defeat it. You are a slave to it. Our lies. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. And so when we pray, may your kingdom come. Another way to see this is that we are praying, Lord, open our eyes to see the power and the victory of your kingdom that is already here. It is already here, and we can claim it, and we can live it in our lives. But it gets even better. You know how it gets even better? Because the kingdom of God, while it is present and powerful, it has not even yet fully been revealed. As mentioned earlier, God has sovereignty over all. And yet he permits for a time other kingdoms to exist. These other kingdoms to exist for a time, even though they are defeated, and we can claim victory over them, they do still exist for a time. But the day is coming when there will be no more powers or authorities that remain in this world contrary to his. There will be a new world and a return to that perfect order. And we read about this in Revelation 21 where it says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You see, just as when a person surrenders their life to God's rule and and to his reign in their lives. Scripture tells us that that they die to the old. That the old has died, the new has come. They, They are a new creation. So too we see here at the return of Christ that the old earth passes away. And in its place, a new kingdom is all that remains. As we continue reading it in, in Revelation 21, we see in verse 3 and 4, it describes it like this. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, there will be no mourning. There will be no crying. There will be no pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. And the new has come. There will be no more sin. No more evil. No more sickness. No suffering. No tears. No death. Those realms will have been defeated. And all those who by God's grace come under the reign of Jesus Christ will dwell with him eternally. There's only one requirement. That requirement is found of going back to Jesus' first words in Mark 1.15. Where he says, the kingdom of God has come near. What is our response to be? Our response is to be this. Repent and believe the good news. That is the pivotal phrase. That's where every, the moment of every decision for all people has come. Who is Jesus Christ? And how will we respond in light of that? You see, to repent is to acknowledge and to believe that, that life in these other kingdoms of this world are inferior and that they will fail us and that they have failed us and will continue to do so. It's to acknowledge that, but then to also believe that what Jesus offers is far better. It's far better in the kingdom now and in the kingdom that is not yet. But then to acknowledge our need to, to turn from the kingdoms of this world from our waywardness and from our own kings towards those of God. To start walking with him. To confess our waywardness. And the reality that we can live in power and freedom of his kingdom in this present time. Romans 10.9 tells us this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be part of God's kingdom. And anyone who believes will never be put to shame. If you're tired of the old life, if you want more out of life, if you've been following in your entirety of your daily walk or even just parts of your daily walk, have still been in the direction of these worldly kingdoms and powers, you have the opportunity to confess that today. To confess it, to repent of it. And to bring that part of your life under the rule and reign of God. If that's something that happens in your life, I want you to come talk to me after the service at the front. Here we'll also have prayer people at the front who can meet with you and talk with you more about those very, very things. But returning back to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your awesome, majestic, all-powerful, sovereign name. May your kingdom come. How does that inform our prayer life today? Well, when we pray, may your kingdom come. You are declaring, you are reminding yourself of three things. Number one, it is a step of focusing our hearts and minds upon God's kingdom rather than upon our own. And by starting there, we will pray different. When we focus upon our own, what we pray for, how we understand His responses are often interpreted by a phrase that I know I've used at times, and perhaps shouldn't at times, the phrase, I got this. But when we pray with our heart and mind set upon Him, we begin to have more of a clear understanding of His presence and of His mission. The second thing that happens when we pray, may your kingdom come, is that it expresses that we want more of His kingdom. That, that, that we're saying, God, get, God, come. Come and heal. Come and cleanse this place. God, we want more of your kingdom. We, we recognize that it's here, that it has power, that it has authority. But come, Lord Jesus. Come, bring more. And when, when we live in our lives and we feel like we're kind of a fish out of water, if you ever have that feeling, that's evidence that you are citizens of a different kingdom that are living in this one for a time being. And that we live in a world but do not belong to this world. And we can pray, come. Jesus, may your kingdom come. We want more of that. But then thirdly, we're also asking to see him now, anticipating his not yet. We're saying, Lord, open our eyes that we may see your kingdom today, that we may live in the power of your kingdom today and live in the here and now, anticipating your kingdom that is to come. So last week I started with this challenge. To make prayer a daily part of your life in some fashion. You can start there with just even talking to God like he's right beside you. But to also begin by remembering and reflecting upon the awesomeness of God. And this week we want to add to that. To reminding or setting our minds upon the core mission. And the presence of God in our lives. And the reality of his kingdom is here that we are to live as citizens of that kingdom. That we can claim the joy, we can claim the, uh, the enjoyment and the victory that is ours because of the work of Jesus Christ. But also to live with a sense of anticipation of the kingdom that is yet to come. And if you choose to accept this mission, this is where the Mission Impossible music kicks in. If you choose to accept this mission, it will lead you to a few things that I think you'll immediately notice in your prayer life and in your daily life. Number one, as I said, when you feel like kind of a fish out of water, you know you're not alone. That you're surrounded by a lot of other people who are citizens of the kingdom who have the same struggles and the same challenges within this world. And it is evidence to you that you are not of this world. When you are enduring trials and hardships, you might have a bit more of an understanding of the fallenness of the world around you and understand that, hey, that's just, that are realms that have more authority than they will have in the future. But I can have victory over those realms that are causing me strife and grief this day. One day it will be made right. It also gives us greater clarity. Greater clarity to see the insights of of God's heart and his purposes in the world. But also understand that we do not want to mortgage today for the future glory and the future kingdom. That his kingdom is here now and he has called us to be a part of proclaiming his mission and expanding his kingdom. And so that we will live in the power and the reality of today as his kingdom comes. And so as we close today, I want you to remember that When we pray these words, his kingdom come, it already has. We can go forth to claim it, to live it, and to reveal it in our lives. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Heavenly Father, just pray that you would reign in us. God, we recognize that your amazing power and authority your sovereignty owes over all. We recognize you as Savior and as King, Lord. God, may we allow you to lay to rest our old selves, to lay to rest any part of ourselves that we still hang on to, that we have been set free from, that we would live as, as dead men and women to the temptations of this world and to the, to the vices that can hang on to us, to the kingdoms that seek our attention, that want our allegiances, God, instead, may we live in the victory that you have brought for us over sin. Reign in us. Reign in this world as well, Lord. That new life would spring forth in those who have surrendered their lives to you and that that deeper part of ourselves and deeper part of the people gathered in this place would, would be surrendered to you. That we would all come to see that living our life under the rule and the reign of Jesus is far better than anything else this earth claims to offer. Jesus, as we prepare for your second coming, May we be faithful for the little things, for the daily things of this life that allow us to further proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is near. In order that your kingdom would expand, that our enemies would meet your justice, that evil would be dealt a final death blow, and that the righteous life, those who live a righteous life, would live eternally with you. Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.